meant to be a riddle. It was meant to be a title. But apparently it became a riddle. So does anyone know the answer to the riddle? And if you don't, you can just look on top of the page on 1269. That will be the answer. Very good. So King David, David HaMalach, his grandmother, and I did cheat, it's really his great-grandmother, um, was Ruth, Ruth, Russ. And Rus and Ruth, same person, English and Hebrew. Bear with me if I call it Rus for the rest of the class. Same, same person. So it's Shavuos is coming up, right? We lay in Shavuos. On Shavuos, we read the, the, the Megillah of Rus, the story of Rus. And I, I, I tried to like really sum up the whole Megillah in like bullet points just so we should get a little bit of a framework of what we're dealing with in this story in case you're not familiar with it on, on, a very, on a very clear level the story goes like this it starts off the setting is it's the year 2790 which is almost, almost exactly 3,000 years ago now it's 5782 so it's 2790 so it's 2990 2,992 years ago. Almost 3,000 years ago. And there was a big famine in Israel. In the land of Israel, there was a big famine. And there was a very um, prosperous family. And they were, they were a successful family. They were, he was a bit, the, 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 the Elimelech was the father's name. And the mother's name was um, um, Nami and Naomi. And they were very uh, high up on the totem pole of the Jewish echelons, and they, for whatever reason, they ran away. The, the, the commentaries basically say that they didn't want to have to deal with all the poor people and having to support them, etc. They were very holy people. Obviously, we have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt of how the sin, how big, how great the magnitude of the sin was. But be it as it may, they left. And they went to the land of Moab. Okay? So the land of Moab neighbors um, Israel, neighbors Eretz Israel, and they ran away and they settled there. The two children, Machlin and Cleon, both married the princesses, two Moabi princesses. One of their names was Rus, and one of them, his name was Orpah. So Rus and Orpah, okay? And Shem, God, wasn't so happy with them. They ran away, and they married um, into the Moabi nation. So, basically, what happened was, Hashem punished them, and they lost all their wealth. Elimelech, the father, died. Machlan, killing the two children, they both died as well. So we have in front of us the setting of the story where you have Nami, which is, we'll call her the mother-in-law, Nami, and then we have the two daughters-in-law, Rus and Arpa. So we have the mother-in-law, two daughters-in-law. So the, it's like, they, they lived in, in, in Moab for around 10 years, and they decided after these, they all passed away, after all the husbands passed away, Nami says, it's time to go back to Ars Israel. It's time to go back to Israel. So she goes back to Israel, and on her way, her two daughters-in-law want to come with her. And... She tells them, stay behind. 
Okay, fine. That's very, very, yeah, very, very good. So basically, they left, and he tells the daughters, "Now, please stay behind. Don't come with me. Why do you stay behind?" And eventually, she um, convinces Orpa to stay behind, and she goes back to her parents' house, and she basically ends up, ends up falling off a cliff. She ends up doing that night, not literally, spiritually. She totally loses the whole thing, and she goes back to her old ways. And she eventually, actually, she has a child that night. She um, conceives a child. And that child becomes the famous Goliath, which is Goliath. The famous Goliath is Arpa's child. And he antagonized Israel, the the Jews. Um, and then, actually, David, King David and Goliath were actually cousins. If you, if you figure first that out. They were, they were not They were first cousins twice removed, yeah. But they were actually cousins, interestingly enough. Anyways, so we have now, um, Rus is hanging along with, with her mother, Nanami, and she says, I want to stay, I want to come, I want to be part of the Jewish nation, I want to cling to the Jewish nation and stay and be, and she's faithful and she comes back. So they come back, the poor, the destitute, everything is really, really... Uh, is, is the knowledge... That Goliath was from orbit. Is that in the Talmud? Is that where that information comes? How that Talmud? that information, I believe, is in the Medrash. I don't believe the the the, the in the in the what do you call the scriptures? I don't believe it's no, in the scriptures. No. I don't believe so. No. I don't believe it's in there. But the 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 commentaries talk about it, and they say that she she ended up um, sleeping with like a hundred people that night, and one of those people with one of those people she conceived. Um, yeah, she felt pretty low that night. Um, anyways, the point is that they come back to Israel and they're poor and that's to do and everyone walks and everyone sees Nami, this big famous Nami. Hey, they see the, the, the famous glorious Nami and they see her and she's not so glorious anymore. She's really like... And they say, this is Nami? This is the famous Nami that we... That we uh, that we remember, and she says, "Don't call me Nami, call me Mara, call me Bitter." So, change the changing of the of the fortunes. Anyways, they come in, they come in, and they this, there's a a term, there's a, a law, a Jewish law, that if you own a field, you have to leave over leket shikopeya, three things that are gifts to the poor, little um, stocks that fall down, stocks that are left behind, and the corners of the fields. So Rus, um, um, Nami tells her daughter-in-law, Rus, go collect the, the stocks by Boaz. Boaz was a nephew, go, first cousin of, of Rus through marriage, I guess. So basically Nami's nephew was Boaz. Boaz is Nami's nephew. So he took, go, collect by, go collect by Boaz's field. He's related to us. He'll be kind to you. She goes there. Boaz spots this girl and says, who is this girl? And the, the, the kites from the, the, the workers tell her, him, this is the Moabi girl, Russ. This is the Moabi girl, Ruth. And he says, who is this? And she calls her over and says, I'm so happy to meet you. You did such a kindness and you stayed with Naomi, you stayed with her. Um, please stay by my field, we'll take care of you. 
And she goes back home, tells her mother-in-law that Rus was happy, that, that, that Boaz was happy with her, and Boaz is going to take care of her. And then her, her mother-in-law tells her, Nami tells her, actually, you need to do Yibam. Yibam is a, is a, is a, is a halacha, is a law, Jewish law, that when someone dies, a man dies without any children, the wife is supposed to do Yibam, get married to, really supposed to get married to that brother. If there are no brothers, then it's the closest relative. So if they hear the next closest relative should have been Boaz. Because Boaz was a, was, a, was a first cousin. So, he's an old man, he's not going to do it. And they conspired and they came up with a scheme. And they're going to dress, she's going to get you all dressed up, and she's going to go into, the, into, the, into, the, into Boaz's room in the middle of the night. Whole scheme, we're going to talk about it later on. And basically, they, she comes in, Boaz tells Rus, um, I can't do it, I have an older brother, he should do it first. You have to ask him permission. Okay, so the older brother, they get permission from him. They do the yibum. They get married. She conceives a child. The child, his name is Oved. Oved conceives. Um, has, Oved gets has another child. That child's name is Yishai, and Yishai has a child named many children, but one of the children's name was David, King David. Is Ruth Jewish? On that? Yes. So okay, fine. I didn't want to get into that because that's an endless, bottomless um, discussion. <laughs> if there's a big discussion in the, in the, in the commentaries whether or not Rus, Ruth converted before she married the original, before she got married to, to, to Nami's, um, son, one of Nami's children. It's a big discussion. And however you learn it, it doesn't really add up. Because if she was converted before, so then why did Nami push her away? She's Jewish, right? She should come in. And, and she, she did push Arbor away. She actually went back, right? That's very difficult to understand. And if she wasn't Jewish, then how could it... Then there's no Yibam. She wasn't Jewish. She wasn't married legally. So that's a bit difficult discussion. There are answers. There are good answers. But it's going to take forever, so we're not going to get into them. Okay, there are good answers. But so that basically is the end of the story. The, the, the end of the Megillah, the end of verse, actually, it actually ends off with the lineage from Yehuda to not from Yehuda to the Shevet Yehuda, the, the tribe Yehuda, all the way down to David Hamalach, the King David. It actually goes through all the names. Son, father, son, father, son, right into David Hamalach. That's the end of the Megillah. That's the end of the Megillah. Let's discuss I would like to discuss three points. The first point is something that's very interesting and it jumps out at you in many different areas in the Torah. When it comes to the King David, and it comes to eventually the Messiah, Melech HaMashiach, the Mashiach, which is as follows. Where does the, the Moavi nation, comes from the, the patriarch of the Moavi nation was Moab. Does anyone know who Moab was? Like, uh, right, God, there's a story with Lot. Everyone's familiar with the story. The Malachim, the angels came. They destroyed the whole Sodom and Amorah where Lot lived. All the big salt and sulfur. The Dead Sea is nowadays the Dead Sea. That is where a flourishing, hustling, bustling economy with full of vegetation used to be back in the days of Avram Avinu, back in the days of Abraham. And then they didn't go in the proper ways. They did a lot of averos, a lot of sins. And Hashem 
sent angels down, he flipped the whole thing over, turned the whole thing into sulfur. Lot lived there. Lot got saved. And his wife, if anyone did tours in Israel, turned into a pillar of salt. So now we have Lot and his two daughters were hiding away in a cave. The angel's gone. They're in a cave in the night. There's no one there. There was no television or radio. They didn't know what was going on in the world. They thought they were the only people around in the whole world. So what did they do? They turned to, they, they turned to each other and they said, we need to have children. What's going to be? We're the only ones left. So they got whatever they got to their father drunk. And one night, the older one had a child, um, slept with him. And she conceived the child. And the next night, the second one. And one named the child Amon. And the other one named the child Moab. The Moavi, the word Moav actually means Me'av, from my father. Which is very interesting because she very clearly did it um, with good intentions because she didn't try to hide it. It was very, I don't know, but I did this with good intentions, righteous intentions in order to keep the world going. Either way, that is, that story, very interesting story, very strange story, right? If you teach this in, in day school, in uh, seventh grade or sixth grade, Right? You'd probably skip this uh, chapter, right? Very interesting, okay? This is who Ruth is, this is Ruth's great, 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 great grand, grandmother, right? That's an interesting story. Who was Boaz? Boaz was great, great, great grandfather, was Yehuda. Yehuda, tribe of one of the 12 tribes, Yehuda, Judah. And he also had a very interesting story. He had a story with Tamar. And he had. A, another interesting story. It was a very, very interesting story. He um, had two, also he had two children. They didn't, they were both, one of them was married to Tamar, and he, Hashem, was not happy with him. He did a virus, he did sins, so he got, he got killed. And then the next brother did Yibam. Hashem didn't like him either. I mean, Hashem loves everyone, but he did, he did, he did a sins, and Hashem, he did a sin. And Hashem um, did not, uh, Hashem killed him as well. And Yehuda, Yehuda, the father, says, the third son, he's too young, he was a little nervous, don't, don't do Yibam to him, wait a bit. Sent her home. She goes to her parents' house. Anyways, it's a while later, Tamar decides she needs to do Yibam. She needs to get married to the, so she says she's going to get married to Yehuda, the father. In those days, it was, it was she, anyway, she gets married. She goes and she wants to get married to Yehuda. Yehuda's not going to let. So what does she do? She goes and she dresses up like a, like a, like a zaina, like a prostitute. And she stands in the street. Yehuda walks by. Zoom, doesn't look at her. The angel whoosh, turns his face, makes her, him see her. And they sleep that night together. They have twins. The whole story, he accuses her. She almost got killed. And not for now. The point is that she had twins. The older twin, his name was Peretz. The younger twin, his name was Zerach. Peretz. If you look at the last... If you look at the last page, you don't have to turn here if you don't want to. If you look at the last page in the Megillah, I turned way too far. It's, the words are very small. It's like only three pages. Page 1273. It says, Ela Peretz. Peretz is the great-great-grandfather. In, in, in verse 18. Generation of Peretz. Peretz had a child Chetzrin, Chetzrin Ram, Ram Aminadav, Aminadav Nachshin, that's the famous Nachshin ben Aminadav, Nachshin Shalma, Salma, I'm sorry, Salma Boaz. So we see Boaz is a direct descendant of, 
of this person, Parrots, whose mother was Tamar, who dressed up like a prostitute. Very interesting um, set of circumstances. And then that leads us up to the final set of circumstances, which is, which is over here, which is the whole story with Rus and Boaz. Rus goes, and in the middle of the night, she goes into his room, and goes into Boaz's room, and she, she makes a whole story. She tells him, I think we need to give him. She's all dressed up. And he tells her eventually, no, we have to wait until the other brother become, confirms that he doesn't want to do it. What's the whole? What's going on here? It's so like counter, so like anti anything we we were brought up with. Torah, everything's pure, and here, not a coincidence. King David, his all of his grandparents and and, and the great great grandparents of Melech and Mashiach, the King, the Mashiach, the Messiah. All of these funny stories. What's going on here? So, the Chavetz Chaim discusses this at length. Chavetz Chaim, the famous Chavetz Chaim, he passed away in 1933. He wrote the Mishnah the classic halachic work that we all um, use. If we don't use all the rabbis who we ask, they definitely use it. And he wrote the famous um, book called Chavetz Chaim, which is his namesake, about Lashon Hara, about gossip. And he explains this in a very, very beautiful way. He says as follows. Who is the Yetzir Hara? Who is the evil inclination's biggest nemesis? Take a guess. The evil inclination's biggest nemesis. Well, Hashem created the evil inclination, so it's very hard to say his biggest nemesis. So, People who love Hashem. Okay, okay. So on face value, you would probably say that the Yetzir Tov, the, the good inclination and evil inclination, are the right? They both fight against each other every day. But the reality is not true. Why is it not true? Because the evil inclination and the good inclination, I don't know, is there any better way to say it? Good inclination, that's what they say, right? So the evil inclination and the good inclination, really, they're both, they're like, for example, you go to like, you listen to a talk show or a, or a uh, radio show and you have two guys who are busy fighting and dueling and they're busy debating all over the place. You think that they're fighting against each other and they hate each other. Really, they're not. Really, they're on the same thing. They're just trying to make money, right? So they, so they debate and they fight. But really, when you go to a commercial break, they're in the back drinking coffee together, they're schmoozing. They're the best of friends, right? So it's all a charade. So the same thing with the good inclination and the evil inclination. They were both angels. They were created by, by God. The evil inclination's job is to try to push us in the wrong direction. And the good inclination is to try to push us in the right direction. And our job is to take the evil inclination, push them away, and only listen to the, evil, the good inclination. But really, the whole job is to try to bring us closer to God. The evil inclination makes it difficult so we can get more reward, more schar in heaven when we go up to after 120. And that is really the goal of the evil inclination is to give us the opportunity to to have the ability to have reward in the next world. If everything was so easy and just smooth sailing, we would not get any reward for what we would do because it wouldn't be difficult. The real, that's a little bit as an aside. The real nemesis, the real nemesis to the Yetzer Hara, to the evil inclination, is Mashiach, is the Messiah. Why? Because the Talmud tells us, the Gemara tells us, that after Mashiach comes, after the Messiah comes, Hashem, God, you can take it literally, you can take it figuratively, He will slay, He will shecht, He will slaughter the evil inclination. And the evil inclination 
if you want to take it literally or figuratively, but one thing for sure is that he will have no sway and he will have no power over us. And that will be the end of any power he has. So, the biggest fight that the evil inclination will ever put up will be to stop the Messiah from coming. Stop Melech HaMashiach from coming. That will be his biggest battle. That's when he'll get all the heavy artillery and he'll put up all the fights, the last fights. And that's why as we get closer and closer to the Mashiach nowadays, we're getting closer and closer, he's working overtime. And all the, all the issues that we have now with spiritual life and all the issues we have with, with people who don't like us, people who hate us, and that anti-Semitism, all of it is because the, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination knows that this is his last, this is his last Torah. And he got to put everything out there. And that is why the, 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 the evil inclination, the Yetzirah, tries his hardest to stay, to push away the Malach HaMashiach. So how do we fight the Yetzirah? So the, the big Musser um, masters, the masters of Musser, the, the, the Jewish, Jewish ethics masters, they teach us something fascinating, which is as follows. If you go into a boxing ring with, or whatever, a UFC ring, or whatever your strikes your fancy, um, with a professional, or whatever, name me some, Floyd Mayweather, let's say, right? Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, right? Whatever, however old you are. Okay? And you try to go into the fight with him, right? If he offers you $20 million, right? Would he do it? Doubt it. Right? You're going to walk out without $20 million and a broken jaw and, and a lot of bruises, right? Just a waste of time. Waste of time. Even for $100 million, probably you wouldn't even take a risk. It's just not worth it. Just stupid, right? You're not going to... You're not going to... He's Muhammad Ali. He's not... There's really not, nothing... So what do you do? You just... If you're forced to, to be in such a situation, you have to deal with it. First step is you stay out of the boxing ring, right? That's the <laughs> first step. It's the same thing with the evil inclination. The first way to do the main focus to us as observant Jews is stay out of the boxing ring. We try to stay out of the boxing ring as much as we could. Now what happens if you're forced in? What happens if you have a direct conflict with the Yitzhar, with the big, big box? What do you do? So to fight head on, the Chafetz Chaim tells us that doesn't really work. So how do we do it? We do little, little maneuvers. We try to do diversion. We try to, try to trickery and try to throw a little bit of a, throw a bone at him. That's how we deal with the Yitzhar. And that's the way we have a fighting chance. We have this concept on, on Erev Rosh Hashanah, the day before Rosh Hashanah. The whole month of Elo, we blow shofar. On the day before Rosh Hashanah, we don't blow the shofar. And it's a little bit of a mystical concept, but to bring it on a practical level, why don't we blow shofar? So one of the main reasons is to fool and, convi- and to fool the satan, to confuse the evil inclination, to confuse the satan. What it means is the satan wakes up, Arav, so to speak, Arav Rosh Hashanah, and he says, "Hey, the Jews aren't blowing shofar," and gets all excited. And then the next day, somehow I don't know exactly how it works, in a mystical way, he decides that he could chill out a little bit, and then on Rosh Hashanah we blow Shofar. It's a little bit of confusing the Satan. So it's a little bit of a mystical um, way to, way, way to um, deal with it. But the idea over here is that we try to give the Satan a little bit of a bow. Give him a bow, let him get busy with it, and he sees these things, and he hears the stories, 
and in the and in the in the coffee room, everyone's saying, "You heard what happened with Yehuda and Tamar. You heard they had this affair together. Exciting, right?" And really, nothing went wrong. Really, everything was perfect. He was doing Yibum. He was marrying off. He was the next of kin, right? Really, he was doing Yibum. But it looked funny, and he was getting excited. And the Yitzhara, so to speak, turns a blind eye because because it looked fishy. And that is how we deal with the Yitzhara. And we hear the story with Yehuda and Tamar as such, and the same story with, with Lot and his daughters, which the daughters eventually gave birth, and their children, and great-great-great-granddaughter was Rus. And then we see the same thing again by, by Tamar, and sorry, by Ruth, by Rus, and Boaz. The way it worked, works is, they needed, in order to make sure that this story happened, they needed to be a certain amount of, of diversion. That is a certain amount of, of sneaking around. So the Satan gets a little bit confused. That is the first point I would like to bring here. Very important. Let us not get confused and think that there was anything actually wrong happened. This was all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. Everything was perfect. Everything was in order. Everything worked. It was Yibum. It was, he was the next of kin. It was supposed to be like that. But the way... It, to get around the Yitzhahara, the way to get around the Satan is to have given a little bit of a vote. I don't understand that. You know, I find uh, in prayer there, there are times I feel being accused. I mean, I feel his, his Satan's actions. And he tries to deceive and act like he's God. Right. So the Satan himself, is the, he's the master... He's the master of all trickery. Yeah. So, he is. so I don't understand this maneuvering. I mean, if you're, if, if, if a person is... I'll give an example. Good, he will try to divert. And so you're, right. faced, you're faced off with him. One, the more right, right, so I'll give you an example. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a real practical example, okay? So this is, is much more applicable to... To, you know, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to not, not make it uh, anything uh, controversial that anyone's going to be... Let's just say Lush and Har, right? Gossip, very user-friendly, right? Gossip. So Torah says, we're not going to say, to, to, to say anything bad, negative against someone else, right? So let's say you have a real juicy piece of information about your good friend that sits next to you, and you want to tell it, right, to your other good friend, right? And the evil inclination is to Said, oh, you know what? He's gonna get so excited. He's gonna, he's gonna be your best friend. He's gonna tell you something back. He's gonna get you excited, and you're gonna get a lot of brownie points by saying over the the, the juicy story. So, if you say, I'm not gonna say it over, right? So they tell us, no, 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 say it over, say it over. I'm not gonna say it over. No, 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 say, say, say. Right? So that sometimes it's it's so impossible. It's almost impossible. So instead, you can do like this. I will, I'll say, I'll tell it to tomorrow, or in ten minutes. And then in 10 minutes, you go, I was able to manage 10 minutes, oh, another 10 minutes, or tomorrow. And you just tell the Satan, you tell him, I'm going to do it. So mind your, leave me alone for now, I'll do it. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah? So then, tomorrow comes around, you're already back to work. You, it, 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 it fizzles out a little bit. That's how we do a deal with the Satan. That's how we deal with it. Instead of just fighting, no, 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 you say, oh, I'll do it a different time. Wait, and, then, and then tomorrow, you'll deal with it tomorrow. And it, it's, this is especially important when, it, when you have a real issue, a real um, issue and a real deep 
um, desire for whatever it is, if it's a little deeper than, than just a little bit of, a, of something you want to do spontaneously, it is especially helpful to not say no, 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 rather to push it off to tomorrow. Because saying no, 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 that's something that's really, really, really um, hard to, to, to say no to, then it, it backfires a lot. Just builds and builds and builds and say, I can't do that. I'm so mad. I really want to do it. I can't. I'm not going to do it. Then eventually, usually, it gets you. So to push off to tomorrow usually works. So that is a very important lesson to learn from that. So that, let's try to move on to the second piece, which really ties into the third piece. It's really one piece. I'm going to try very hard to get this out clear and before 8.30. So Ruth, Ruth was a convert. We all know that. She was a convert, and she was poor. They were poor. Ruth and, and Nami, they were poor. And they were very, uh, I call it very uh, low, I shouldn't say low echelons of society, but they were, they were not in the, in the, in the, they were not uh, in the who's who of society at that moment in time, that period in time. They were not on the highest levels of society. And they, they, uh, they had a child named Oved, and Oved had a child named Misha. Okay? So after the story, there's a famous a machlokas, a famous argument, discussion, a machlokas, a disagreement among the different common, among the different rabbis, which we, they paskin in our story, in Rus, they actually paskin the halacha. They actually codified the law. And I said in English, paskin. They, they, uh, they, 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 they had they made a decree there was a law there was a big uh, dis- disagreement whether there's a there's a law that you're not allowed to marry a Jew is not allowed to marry a someone from the nation of Moab why yeah. difficult discussion they didn't come and greet the Jews with bread and water in the desert and as an act of since they were so cold hearted we're not allowed to, they're not we're not allowed to marry into that and there was a big discussion whether or not we're allowed to marry into Moavi and Ammoni girls. Why? Because it says Ammoni, which is, and Moavi, which are masculine in Hebrew. They're um, a masculine term. And Moavis and Ammonis would be feminine. And the Torah only says Moavi and Ammoni. So the question is, was a male, a man, a Jewish male, um, is allowed, was a Jewish male allowed to marry a Moavi female, a Moavi girl? A Jewish female was definitely not allowed to marry a Moavi guy. But was a Jewish male allowed to marry a Moavi female, even after they converted? So this was a big discussion. So she was basically an outcast. The story goes that she, they paskin, they said that halacha is, the Jewish law is, that you're allowed to marry a, Jew, a Moavi girl. That was the halacha, and that's why Rus ended up doing Yibam, and then marrying Boaz, and eventually they had grandchildren, Yishai and David. So Yishai and David. So David and Ma'ach was Yishai's um, seventh child, I believe. Interesting story. Yishai had a bunch of children, and they were all warriors, strong, powerful people, dark, and... He realized, I mean, he realized he was a perfect tzaddik. He was one of the four people in the whole Tanakh, in the whole 
that was considered perfect tzaddik. He didn't do any of error in his whole life. He didn't do any sins in his whole life. And he, he realized that, that even though it was a discussion, even though they passed in the halacha, he got a little nervous about this, his lineage. <laughs> and he decided, to make a long story short, even though a Jewish um, girl is not allowed to marry a Moavi, a, a Moavi descendant, but a Jewish, uh, a, a Moabi descendant did not marry a, a shifcha, a, a, a uh, maidservant. So he decided, he's basically separated from his wife, and he's going to have a child with his maidservant. This is a medrash, a medrash, in, a medrash that tells us this. And the medrash says that he went, and he was going to have, uh, he's going to go and marry off, marry his maidservant. His wife found out about this, his wife said, no way, this is not true. The Besdin already made a decree. Sanhedrin made a decree. You're allowed to marry. And no way. My husband, who's a perfect tzaddik, is not going to go marry a maidservant. So she paid him off. She paid her off. Sent her to wherever, Hawaii. <laughs> and he comes that night that they were supposed to um, be married. And she... His real wife sleeps with him that night. And she conceives, and she conceives of David King David. So now, another one of those funny stories. But that's not so funny. That was, they were married. Anyways, he didn't know. He thought it was his maidservant. And anyway, she's gone. And this king, this, 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 this she becomes pregnant. And King David, sorry, Yishai, the father says to his wife, what happened, right? He says, no, really, it was me in the room, and it was me and I was, the whole time. And he says, well, um, let's see, let's see what the kid looks like, right? I guess, right? And of course, God sometimes has a real sense of humor. And David Malach comes out, redhead, short, big blue eyes, beautiful face. He was Looks like you. <laughs> he was a beautiful, hand, beautiful handsome young boy who has blue eyes, red hair, Short and nothing like his brothers. Anyways, so the father Yishai sends him off. They don't want anyone to know about it. Sends him off. He becomes a shepherd in the desert, and he's an outcast. Also, so we have now we have Rus was an outcast. Ruth was an outcast. King David was an outcast, and this is like the the story of the underdog, right? And the story is like like a Cinderella story, but it's a real story. This is hundred percent accurate. It's not a fairy tale, and. Samuel the prophet comes and God tells him one of Yishai, one of Yishai's children will be the will be the, the next king after Shalomalach, King Saul, um, sinned. And he um, listened to his people who convinced him to keep all of the Amaleki um, cattle and alive and the king alive. And the new king is gonna come from Yishai. It's gonna come from Yishai. So he goes over to Yishai. Show me all the children. He shows him all of his six children. King David is outcast. He's in the he's in the he's in the in the fields, and he goes one by one. This one, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. And he tells Yishai, "Do you have any other children?" And he says, "You have any other children?" Yeah, you have this young yet lad, and he's in the fields. Bring him here. So he brings him here, and the, the Tanakh they say 
pretty, he was a redhead, and Shmuel, the, 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 the commentaries say that the oil, the Shemana Mishnah, the special oil that they smeared the king with, started bubbling, it started jumping, and all different signs that Shmuel knew, Samuel knew that this was the next king. And he says, ah, this is the next king. Again, you see the theme that the, the underdog, the underdog theme. In Judaism, obviously, not only in Judaism, in other areas as well, but especially in Judaism, the, the, the kings um, don't always come from cool places. They don't always come from high places. They come from merit. Especially King David, which is the epitome of the classics. The, um, I don't know what the right word is. Stereotypical is not the right word, but I'll use it anyways. The stereotypical Jewish king, what a real Jewish king is supposed to look like. He never wavered from the, the laws of the Torah. He always stood strong in his belief of God. And he always ruled with, a, with an iron fist even at times to make sure that everyone, everyone kept the laws of Hashem. And when it came to idol worshippers, he was ruthless. And, and King Solomon, his son, was the same way. And there were many, many kings that were not good. There were many, many bad kings. We're not trying to sugarcoat um, Jewish history. But they were not good kings, a lot of them. But King David and King Solomon were the epitome of a classic, amazing Jewish king. And they were appointed by... King David was appointed by God. And once the... The, king, the kingdom, once the kingdom went through King David, it cannot leave lineage and Malach HaMashiach comes from King David. And I just want to end off with one interesting end note. We have time. We have a few minutes. Which is as follows. Which ties into this theme, but gives you the complete opposite twist on this last theme. Which is as follows. Ruth, Ruth comes in to Boaz's field. With this, I'm going to end. Boaz turns to Rus, uh, turns to his, um, all of his uh, people, all of his workers, and he says, who is this girl? The commentaries, Rashi points out, the Gemara, the Talmud says, was it Boaz's practice to inquire about all the girls on the property? That's not proper, that's not sneer, that's not sneers. What was he doing? What did he see? What did he see in that he was inquiring about Ruth, about Rus? So Rashi tells us, the Gemara tells us, Rashi brings it down, that Ruth did a lot of interesting things that day when she was collecting. Normally most of those girls, they used to schmooze, they used to schmooze around and speak with the, with the workers, with the boys. And they weren't careful with um, keeping to themselves. And Ruth was very, very quiet and she had a big, amazing amount of tzniyot. Tzniyot. She kept to herself and didn't talk to any of the boys. The other girls, another, another thing, the other girls, they used to, when the standing stocks, they used to pick up and when, when the stocks fell to the ground, they used to bend down and pick them up bending down, which was a certain, certain level of lack of tzniyot. Ruth, Ruth, when there was tall stocks, she stood up. When there were stocks on the floor, she sat down on the floor, instead of bending down, she actually sat down to grab those. An amazing level of snares. The third thing, the, the other girls used to pick up the, the, the stocks, even if they were more than what was allowed by the Torah, when there were three or four stocks that were left over, 
which were not allowed only if there were one or two stocks where they were allowed to take them. The other girls, they, they didn't care. They uh, rationalized Boaz was a bit, uh, very wealthy. He didn't, it wasn't a big deal. And Ruth was very careful only to take those. And you see, it's very interesting. Here she is. She's poor. And she needs to, this, this food to eat, right? And what she do? She becomes this, this big frummy, we would call her. Big frummy. She becomes this Mrs. Rebbitson over here. And she's a convert, right? Here's this convert, this late girl that comes from who knows where. All of a sudden, she becomes holier than there. And all these girls are probably looking at her like, what's wrong with this person? She's not talking with anyone. She's trying to... Like, like, and, and here she is, and she doesn't waver. She does what she thinks is right. You see from here, the... Ruth was the mother of the kingdom, the great-grandmother, the grandmother of kingdom, of the kingdom of the Jewish nation. Boaz saw in Ruth, Boaz saw in Ruth the makings of a king. Boaz saw in Ruth, this is what we need for the kingdom of Judaism, to be strong and wavering, not unwavering, and to sticking to her guns, even in the, with the, in the face of adversity, even if everyone else was doing something else, she stuck to her guns and she knew that she was doing what was right. Even if they would laugh at her, even if they despised her because of it, she was going to follow what the Torah says. Torah says, two, two stocks, I'm not taking three. You can rationalize this way, rationalize that way. They're going to hate me. They're not going to want to talk to me. They're going to push me away and the whole thing, right? But she stuck to her guns. You can rationalize this way, that way. It's Sneos. It's, it's not really so important. You really, uh, I am Sneos. It's just a little bit. It's just a little this. It's a little of that. But she knew that she was doing this right. She didn't waver. That is what Boaz saw. What happened with Shal King Saul? King Saul had this whole story with the, the, the Amalekim, with Hagag. He left the king alive because they convinced him, the, Jewish, the, the, the Jews and his servants and his, his people convinced them not to kill him, not to kill the animals, at such and such. And Hashem said, or the, the prophet told him, why did you leave them alive? And he says, Ki I was scared of the people. And the, Hashem saw I'm sorry, Boaz saw in Rus, that Rus's descendants, Rus had her genetic makeup, and her being, she was fearless. She did what she felt was right, and she was unwavering. That is the greatest lesson, I think, that we can take out of, at least I shouldn't say the greatest lesson. That is one of the important lessons that we can take out of Rus, is that Rus Although we, we always talk about the fact that she was an underdog and she was underprivileged and all that big part of it, which is an important part, but that, that makes it exponentially greater, the importance that she was unwavering. Even though she was in a, such an interesting spot, even though she was in a funny spot and she, was unwa- and, and she was underprivileged and she was a convert and they were poor and all of that, still she stuck to her guns and still she was steadfast in her lives.